Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, May 18th. Apologies for us breaking the rhythm of our podcast here over the past few weeks. It's been busy times, not only here at Crack Rackets, but of course throughout the tennis universe. We've had two 1,000-level events on the ATP and WTA Tour in Rome and Madrid. We've had countless ATP challengers that thankfully our friend Damian Kust and Yaka Babro have been covering on the Great Shot podcast. But of course, for me here at Crack Rackets, all eyes focused on the 2021 NCAA Division I Tennis Championships. I am recording today's podcast live from my hotel room in Orlando. It's been a phenomenal first three days of this event. Of course, Saturday was so fun for me to get to just poke around the facility, talk to all of the players, coaches, get a feel for what to expect to happen happen throughout the next week of the team event. And then, of course, Sunday, Monday was tennis all day long. Matches starting at 10 a.m., ending no earlier than 10 p.m. It's been a phenomenal few days for all of us college tennis fans. But unfortunately, because of the late endings to the matches, because of the fact that I was on the broadcast for four of the round of 16 matches, two men's, two women's, and a huge shout-out to our friends over at the USTA, shout-out to our friends at the Tennis One app for facilitating all of that coverage of the event, but as such, haven't been able to hop on this podcast and recap what were eight phenomenal round of 16 women's matches on Sunday, eight phenomenal round of 16 men's matches on Monday. That's going to be the goal for me here on the day off on Tuesday. Of course, there is no NCAA play here today. It's a media day, and as such, we are going to actually have the opportunity to ask questions to all of the coaches still remaining, a couple of players as well. Once again, you're going to be able to find all of those conversations as from the presser segments on our Cracked Interviews podcast, but feels like it's been a while since I've offered my thoughts, my perspective on all of the matches, all of the action that has unfolded. So that's what I want to do on this podcast. It's just going to be me steering the ship. It's been a while since I've gone Han Solo, so quietly I'm sneakily looking forward to this podcast. And I'm just going to give you my unfiltered thoughts on what I saw happen on Sunday. Now, thankfully for both me and I suppose all of you Cracked Rackets fans. Chris Helliors did end up showing up here in Orlando on Monday. He's going to join me for a later podcast. It's going to be either a mini break or a GSP episode recapping all of the round of 16 action from Monday's men's uh, play. And then, of course, starting Wednesday, Matt the Cracks the Koyak arrives, and he, Chris, and I are going to be able to record live in person. Well, I guess they're not going to be live when you hear them, but they'll be live for us, and more importantly, in-person podcasts the rest of the way. Super, super excited to get to hang out with the College Tennis Holy Trinity. I will tell all of you listeners, I had the chance for the first time to meet the Stokowiak parents. They're, if possible, even more lovely than I imagined. And it's funny, I was having this conversation with my mom the other day, just a little insight for all of you listeners. I do indeed still find time to call my parents, in particular my mother. You should all do that as well. But I was talking to her and I was like, you know what? 
I finally realized if if I like someone, it means they probably have pretty cool parents. If you have, if you're a human being, probably means you weren't raised properly. The reason Matt the cracks the Koyak is such an awesome guy, it all stems from his parents, who are truly two of the most lovely people I've met. It wasn't a handshake. It wasn't, oh, good to meet you. It was straight hug. We're family at this point. The Gruskins, the Stokoyak, such a pleasure to get to meet both of them. Looking forward to hanging out with them, watching baby bro Nikki Stokoyak compete for the Baylor men throughout the rest of the week. But again, on today's podcast, I'm going to recap what I saw unfold on Sunday. We had eight phenomenal round of 16 women's matches. I'm not, or I'm going to sort of go chronologically, not exactly in the proper order. I'm going to start with the 4-3 thriller that was our nightcap Duke UCF, a match that I happened to be on the broadcast for. And then we're going to stick in quarterfinal pairing. So I'm going to go Duke UNC, then the Georgia NC State section, FSU Texas, Pepperdine UCLA. If you'd like to scroll forward directly to that segment, you're going to be able to look in the info for this podcast. I'll put the minute mark where we talk about each of these sections of the draw. But again, on this podcast, the focus is going to be the round of 16 we saw unfold on Sunday, later on, either in the day or on Wednesday. You'll hear my conversation with Chris Halliors and maybe a surprise guest or two. I don't want to give any names away. I don't want to reveal anything. But look, we're in the tennis mecca right now, the center of the college tennis universe. All eyes, all of the important brains, all of the important thinkers in college tennis are all centrally located. And as such, I want to pick their brains. I want to talk to some people. You guys know my thoughts at this point. What am I going to say about UNC that you haven't already heard me say? Oh, Sarah Davatella is the GOAT. Like, yeah, you. we know, Alex. You've told us that a million times. But there's some other really fun minds that I think we'll also uh, you'll also enjoy hearing from. And certainly I want to hear their perspectives as well share their perspective with all of you listeners. So we're going to try and mix up the guests the rest of the week as well. And again, the first two days were a little trickier for me from a podcasting perspective, given I was on the broadcast, but I promise you folks, we're going to have daily podcasts the rest of the way. At some point, I'm going to find time to do a mega GSP. Maybe we'll even make that a mailbag, talk about all of the action that did unfold in Rome and Madrid. I am very well aware that Arena Sabalenka captured a 1,000-level title. You think I wasn't monitoring Arena Sabalenka's progress on the WTA Tour at all moments? If you think I can't multitask, you are correct. But in this instance, sadly mistaken, of course, I saw a Zverev title as well six months ago. That would have made me super, super excited. Obviously now a little bit less so, but you know we had that. We had Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, part 312. We had... You know, the emergence of just the Paula Bedosa Gibbers of the world. Just so much phenomenal tennis. Iga Sviantek 0-0 over Karolina Pliskova in that 1,000-level final. I think that was, what, the first 0-0 final since, like, the 88 French Open or something crazy like that. And so, look... Uh, I should say relative to the scale, but look, we're going to talk about all of that in the future for now. We're going to focus on the college tennis universe, and with that in mind, let's get into our recap of all of the action. But before I can, I have to remind all of you that today's podcasts are made, and all of this week's podcasts are made possible because of the support. Sincerely, we get from all of you listeners, our Patreon family, and I have to say, I think you listeners know how big my ego is at this point. It has been just simply delightful to get to interact with so many of you listeners over the past uh, 
three days already in Orlando. Feels like it's been a week. Uh, that's how much fun I am having. I could do this again nonstop. It feels like it's either been a week or it's been like 10 minutes. I'm really not sure. It's all a blur to me, but to have people come up and say, hey, we appreciate your coverage of college tennis. We appreciate what you guys are doing to put a, pla- uh, to put a spotlight on our uh, beloved sport to, you know, again, offer it a platform to be discussed. It's meant the world to me. I know it means the world to West off and Dalton as well, who aren't here to receive that sort of praise. Honestly, Dalton deserves none of it, but super producer Daniel Westoff deserves all of the praise, and to have people come up to me specifically, and not only compliment what Chris, Matt, and I are doing, but also the work Westoff puts in behind the scenes, sincerely, that means the most to me. That means you guys really are listening all the way through. You hear me shout out super producer Daniel Westoff, who is the best in the business, folks. Believe me when I say there is no one I would rather work with uh, thank you so much for doing so. If you have not yet said hello, please do it. I'm always in my white crack rackets hat. I'm always, for lack of a better term, pimped out in my CR gear. So, you know, don't be shy. I, you guys know at this point, certainly I am not shy. So if you come over and say hello, I promise we're going to have a five to ten minute conversation about college tennis. And in the end, that's what we're here in Orlando to enjoy. So again, a huge shout out to all of you listeners, our Patreon family, and of course, a shout out to our friends at Midwest Sports. You go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15. Not only will you get 15% off your order, you'll get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. Apologies for the lengthy intro. Again, we had so many cracked interviews last week. That was the majority of my time. We had a couple of college tennis preview podcasts towards the end of the week, but then I was in an airplane heading to Orlando. feel like I owed you guys an explanation of what we've been up to over the past week here at Cracked Rackets. But without further ado, let's talk about an outstanding Sunday of tennis and the place we have to start. The only 4-3 match we had in our women's round of 16, it was our nightcap, and of course, I was fortunate enough to be on the broadcast for the match, would have had it, wouldn't have had it any other way, and of course, I'm referring to Duke's dramatic 4-3 victory over host and number nine seeded UCF Knights. I mean, look, this match was your stereotypical round of 16. It came, you know, and the big fact that I want to point out to all of you listeners through the first two days of action, so there are eight women's round of 16 matches, eight men's round of 16 matches. The team that's won the doubles point, 15-1 and one through the 16 matches we've seen played thus far. It speaks to the parity between all of these two, uh, all of these teams still remaining. It is just so, so difficult to find three singles wins, let alone the four singles wins you need to overcome dropping a doubles point. And look, the doubles point proved crucial in the Duke-UCF match, and we'll start there. You know, it was a credit to UCF who came out swinging, and look, they're at home. It's not only their home courts, they had a home crowd. It was an electric crowd, and I should point out, and you know, if I don't do this now, I'll do it in each and every match. What a... pleasure it is. I don't I don't have a better term than the F-bomb. What a pleasure it is to have fans back in the stands. And look, social distancing, ensuring people are vaccinated, ensuring the safety and health of everyone participating in this event, that is, of course, still the number one concern. But I will say it, college tennis, more than any other form of the sport, is just not the same without fans in the crowd. To have an engaged, rowdy college atmosphere, that's what makes this sport so, so special. And I have to say, whether it's Dick Vitale or 
the 50 family members or you know people close to the team and every school seems to fill out all 50 of the spots they've been allocated it has just been an electric atmosphere in Orlando and I have to also say the USDA National Campus really is the mecca of tennis here in America if I lived in Orlando the amount of time I'd spend there would be obnoxious you walk through the doors and I will admit to some bias the fact that We won our 2017 Club Tennis National Championship. By the way, I hit the under there, mentioned it before the 15-minute mark here in Orlando. This place will always be special to me. But, I mean, you walk in, there's like 100 courts, clay, uh, hard courts. There's always some sort of adult or junior event going on. There's always some sort of professional training on the grounds. And it just... You soak up an atmosphere of tennis. I don't know how you can't get in the mindset of, all right, it's match time. All right, let's enjoy ourselves this atmosphere. The moment you walk on the grounds, and that's a credit to the USTA for, again, creating uh, and taking a chance here in Lake Nona, creating this facility. And I'm a fan. It's you know I'm a very easy fan. It's not hard to impress me, but everything here in Orlando, in Lake Nona, so, so, so impressive. All right. With that in mind, though, you know, I've set the scene. We've talked about a, ru- a ruckus crowd. I will say, UCF, though, they blinked a little bit in the doubles point. And a credit to Coach Brian Kinyeko and these Knights. They play an aggressive brand of doubles. They were trying to serve and volley, be two up, be the aggressors, be on their front foots. And look, they earned early breaks across, I believe, all three courts. It was, you know, Mattel and Stolmar up, I think, 3-2 early break on Chi and Billiken, and, you know, Kuznetsova, Zaleva went up in early break. They actually cruised to a 6-3 victory at the number two position over the number nine ranked team of Beck and Barankova for Duke, and, you know, again, uh, Levashova and Christians at the three position, they went up in early break, but this Blue Devils team is sneaky experience. You have Meeble Chi, you have Margarita Billiken, you have Chloe Beck, Kelly, well, not Chloe Beck, but Kelly Chen, who have all played not only in an NCAA round of 16 before, but they've played in Orlando under the lights before. This Duke team semifinalists in 2019, you know, they played a dramatic quarterfinal even to get to that semifinal. And they responded to the early adversity. Chi and Billiken come roaring back, I think take the last five games of the set to earn a 6-3 victory at number one. And then, you know, Kelly Chen and Georgia Drummy, when you can have your number one and two singles players justifiably at the number three doubles position, and let me emphasize that again, justifiably, because you look, Billiken and Chi, number 10 in the country, Beck and Barankova, number nine in the country, Chen and Drummy, number 41. Now, of course, some of that has to do with the strength of the ACC conference and how that skewed the rankings this year. But, you know, in the end, Chen and Drummy were just too good. They were the aggressors. They put a million balls in play. Georgia Drummy's forehand was probably the biggest weapon on the court. And ultimately, Blue Devils get the job done. 6-3 at 1, 6-4 at 3. Again, Chen and Drummy made enough returns to just ask questions of Levashova and Christians, and they take the doubles point. And then, as I've mentioned, it's just so, so difficult for any team to find three singles victories. That said, UCF, they dropped the doubles point against Miami in the round of 32. They had been there before. They took six first sets in that Miami match. They came out swinging in singles. And the place I want to start, Valeria Zaleva, number 22 player in the country for UCF. She will qualify for the individual singles event. She may have the biggest forehand in all of women's college tennis. She absolutely smokes the ball. And with all due respect, she smoked Kelly Chen 
at the number one singles position. She was the first point on the board, I believe, for uh, the UCF Knights, and she gets a 6-4, 6-2 win over Kelly Chen. Now, I thought Chen played pretty well, and she's clearly starting to find her form after what has been clearly a tumultuous season for the Duke number one player, but... Oh my gosh, Zaleva was impressive. I had someone come up to me and think she and say she has the highest pro upside of any player in college tennis. I don't know if that's true, but she absolutely does have pro upside. And again, Zaleva still got a couple years left of eligibility, so she was super, super impressive. You know, Chen, it took Chen so much of an effort just to win one point. And, you know, Chen did a really good job keeping pace with Zaleva in that first set. But then Zaleva's pace just sort of overwhelmed her in the end. And again, she advances to, or she advances, she earns the W. But look, Duke actually ran out to a three-love lead in this match in the overall scoreboard, and it was the most deceiving 3-0 lead you'll ever see because Georgia Drummy, Meeble Chi, who are the two win leaders for Dukes, I believe Chi now 21-2 overall on the year. I believe Drummy's now 18-3. I mean, that's been the recipe for the Blue Devils all season long. Their four points typically come from the two, three, and four positions, Drummy, Beck, and Chi, and we'll get back to Chloe Beck in a little bit, but Georgia Drummy... Oh my god, real deal. I mean, the transfer from Vanderbilt, sophomore, she's got a big forehand backswing, but that forehand is a weapon. And look, she was just in control in her matchup against UCF senior Rebecca Stolmar from the beginning and throughout the duration of the match. Just, again, it was Drummy moving her forehand around the court. She was keeping Stolmar in the outer thirds, keeping Stolmar from playing any sort of aggressive attacking tennis and just got the break she needed. 4-4 four and four victory. Meeble Chi, she was the first point off the board. She dominated Sinea Kuznetsova 6-2, 6-3, and she has played her best tennis all season long to have her at the number four singles position. Such a luxury. Uh, it's reminiscent of the days, you know, it would be a Colin Altamirano or uh, an, an Emilio Gomez for USC or, you know, uh, Virginia. It's that sort of quality at number four for these Duke Blue Devils. Mabel Chi, it doesn't matter if it's against UNC, against Texas, against Georgia, against anyone. She's going to be able to hold her own at four. She was outstanding. But look, those were the only two first sets Duke got. Drummy at two, Chi at four. They took care of those points pretty quickly. And just like that, it was three love. But look, four first sets went to UCF. And I already mentioned Zaleva earning her straight set victory. You then saw uh, a straight set victory from Jalisa, uh, excuse me, from Nandini Sharma at the number six singles position. Sharma, I believe, a sophomore. Just too much power. She was the dictator. Again, the duration of the match at number six. She earned a 6 1 7 5 victory. And then. You know, uh, Je- Jalisa Leslie, the freshman out of Florida for UCF, been a successful year for her. 6-2 first set. She then dropped the second 1-6 against Billiken, but just, again, was on her front foot. 6-1 decision over Billiken in the third, and I feel like that match just went so quickly. It was three completely different sets. Uh, you know, there was no rhythm, no cadence, I suppose, from match to match to match. But, you know, with Leslie, Sharma, uh, Zaleva all taking care of business, it was pretty clear early on that the match was going to come down to the number three singles battle between Chloe Beck and Evgenia Levashova. Now, for Beck, 
She goes down 5-1 in the first set. And talking to Coach Jamie Ashworth, if you heard the Cracked Interviews podcast we did before the tournament started, he emphasized the fact that it was, uh, you know, back her variety. She doesn't have the big weapon, but she's a death by a thousand paper cuts is how I described her during the broadcast. Her, you know, A, she wants to bait you into challenging her forehand on the run because her ability to hit that ball cross-court, down the line, elevated, she can just do anything when she's on the run on that forehand side. And then, you know, her ability to play backhand slice to hit the ball 20 feet over the net to elevate and again buy some depth buy some time she can just do a little bit of everything and at first Levashova was swinging through it all races out to a 5-1 lead but you could sort of see it happen Chloe Beck races back, wins three games, narrow that deficit to 5-4 in the first. Levashova, you know, it, it started to mess with her. She started elevating her forehand, really hitting these loopy moon ball type plays to try and just disrupt Beck's rhythm, but it didn't work. You offer Chloe Beck time, that's the kiss of death. Now, a credit to Levashova, she does end up, you know, it was a tricky game, uh, 6-4, 5-4. Uh, I believe Beck had a couple of game points, one at least, maybe even two, to level the set at five, but Levashova holds. You could just tell, though, that Chloe Beck was finding her rhythm, and she races through the second set 6-2, and, you know, by the time Beck wins that second set 6-2, every other match had finished. All eyes pointed towards Chloe Beck, the super uh, sophomore for the Blue Devils, who put together a really nice third set. Uh, Now, there were, I think, four trades of breaks, maybe five, down the home stretch, but gotta give credit to Chloe Beck, who almost immediately at the start of the third noticed that, you know, Levashova was a bit tentative and she started working drop shot after drop shot after drop shot and to hit the cross court backhand drop shot she was hitting. I challenge you to find me someone with a better drop shot in all of women's college tennis, just the variety. She had some unbelievable gets her passing shot on the match point, this little stretch extended backhand slice that just gets by Levashova at the net. It was sensational. And again, you had to feel for Levashova. We made this joke on the broadcast. If this was Sesame Street, the letter of the word, uh, the letter of the week would be T. The word would be tentativeness. It would be tension, and that's what we felt in this number three singles match. It was your classic three all decider. But look. Beck just had more variety. Beck was able to make that extra ball. She wasn't afraid to be the aggressor. You could just tell Levashova was all over the place, her level up and down. Beck, the steadier of the two, and she delivers a 6-4 victory in the third and ultimately a 4-3 win for the Duke Blue Devils. And now, uh, look, I mean... It, it, it's very, very clear. Uh, these Duke Blue Devils, it wasn't the cleanest season for them. They had a bunch of injury issues, and again, their pathway doubles 2-3-4. That's very clear. That's how they're going to win their matches if they're going to continue to succeed. And they can get Chen and, you know, Barankova and, uh, Ch- uh, not Chi, uh, Billikin at number 156. If they play their best, they can certainly hang, but... Doubles, two, three, four. That's the staple for this Duke women's tennis team. They are very, very good at all of those positions. But look, now they're going to have the gauntlet of all gauntlets, right? Now they're going to face up against a UNC team that hasn't lost in two years. And, you know, these two programs know each other so well. UNC beat Duke 6-1 at home earlier this season. And, of course, you know, they've played countless times over the years. And, you know, with that in mind, actually, let's talk about that fellow nightcap match between UNC and Cal. It was all Carolina in the doubles point, as it so often has been this season. And I have to say, I was skeptical 
when Alexa Graham was pulled from the number one doubles position, mostly from doubles in general, it seemed like her and Davitella had such good chemistry at that number one position. I know it was not the best national indoors for them, but to have two fifth-year seniors at number one, two of... I don't know, the 15, 10 best players in the country. You felt pretty good about that team. But look, uh, Coach Kalpas obviously knows what he's doing. That duo of Mora and Davatilla have had so much success this season. You look at the numbers for the duo. Uh, obviously, you know, first of all, the numbers are going to be skewed because Carolina's won 47 matches. They've had success everywhere. I think they've only dropped one doubles point this season, and it was against uh, Texas back at the National Indoors. But you look for this duo, Davatilla and Mora, 10 and one overall at that number one position, 14 and one in their careers together. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to look comparatively. Davitel and Graham, 17 and nine. So clearly, uh, the numbers say it, the eye tests say it. I thought they were spectacular. 6 2 victory, I believe, for them at that number one position over Giovara and Ivanov. And then, look, I mean, to have Ali Sanford at three doubles, and that's her biggest country, that's her role on this team, it's a joke. It speaks to. The talent on this roster, Sanford and Tran, 6-2 victory as well for what it's worth. Jones and Scotty, the number four team in the country, were up 5-2 at the time of the clinch. And I have to say, credit to this Cal squad, the scoreline 4-0, and you know, some at the end, it's it's a little bit, I think, not reflective of the fight they put up in particular in that first 30 minutes of singles. You look across the boards, Haley Giovara went up an early break on Davitella at 1, Valentina Ivanov won a first set 6-2 over Cam Mora, and you know, again, there was, you know, uh, some some close second sets as well. You had, uh, you know, 7-5 from Scotty, it was 6-5, Tran was up on Anna Bright before that match finished, but that match again in the bonus stage and six all between Graham and Rosenquist in that second set. But I mean, Carolina flexed the muscles and two and five win from Elizabeth Scotty to clinch. They also got wins from Crawley, two and three, Davatilla, four and three. Worth noting, and Colette Lewis addressed this in the presser uh, on Tuesday, so shout out to her for pointing this out. No McKenna Jones, I suppose, a simple look at the scoreline, but she asked Coach Calvis why I bring it up about that decision. And, you know, Co- Coach Calvis made clear. A, uh, when you've got this many players on your roster who are capable of providing you that punch in your lineup to get you that extra point you need, uh, you're not going to take any risks. And to quote him, he's you know he's like, we're, we're not winning a national championship, I believe he said, without McKenna Jones. But certainly, uh, he understands that he needs his uh, players as healthy as possible for the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals. Now, certainly it helped to have two days off between the round of 16 and quarterfinals. So I imagine if Jones is healthy, we probably see her against Duke. Although then again, you know, if they win that doubles point against Duke, why not pull Jones from the lineup if she's not feeling her best? Play Crawley at five, play an undefeated Riley Tran or a one loss Annika Yarlagata at six. You still feel pretty comfortable. And again, up and down the board. Mora lost the first set. She took the second 6-3 and was very much in that match, finding her rhythm. Graham was up a first set 6-2-6 all at the time of the clinch and then it was 6-2-6-5 Riley Tran up on Anna Bright. It was a race to the finish line for the heels. I mean, they're just... They're exceptional. And just a fun fact for you, Coach Calbus, 682 and 182 in his career now. That's a ridiculous win percentage, and it speaks to the success this program has had. It speaks to the success Coach Calbus has had in building up this program. They flex their muscles. And, you know, again, it was a fantastic year 
for these Cal Bears. I do think the best is still ahead. I think this team is absolutely going to be one we are going to be hearing from, as we always do, uh, throughout the course of the next few seasons. But uh, again, a shout out to this UNC team. First match under the lights. They performed as a number one team should. They ultimately advance with a 4-0 victory. And you know, again, I'm, I'm going to save the previews for a separate podcast, but that Duke-UNC battle, there are no secrets, right, between these two teams. Uh, obviously, this is going to be, I believe, their second matchup of the year, but, you know, Coach Ashworth knows every detail of all of these Carolina players' games, and certainly Coach Cal, the same deal. Kelly Chen, Chloe Beck, Mabel Chi, uh, Margarita Billiken, he's seen all of those faces before. It's really hard to beat a team. I think this would be like the fifth consecutive win, maybe sixth for Carolina over Duke. It's really hard to, you know, beat a unit that many times consecutively. So I'm expecting a scrap, but look, North Carolina entered this tournament as the favorite, talking to coaches across the ground, both men's and women's. They all make a point to say how good this UNC team is. You know, is it the best team stacked up at the top of the lineup we've ever seen? Maybe. I would argue with Davatilla, she never loses, and Graham, you feel really, really good about, but there have been some teams with some really successful future WTA players at the top of their roster uh, who maybe you'd take over Davatilla or Graham, but just, I mean, three through six, Good luck. If you drop the doubles point, good freaking luck finding four singles wins. Texas took the doubles point, and they still weren't able to get over the finish line. So Carolina doing Carolina things. They advance to another NCAA quarterfinal. That was the night session. Again, I'm trying to keep these uh, recaps all together by draw in case people wanted to fast forward through them and just get to the section that's most pertinent to their team, their fan base. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Let's move now to my second favorite match of the day. And actually, we're going from the 7 p.m.s to the 10 a.m.s. We'll go to the morning, the kickoff matches. Let's go to what was a thrilling matchup between Georgia and Virginia. And we said going into this one in the podcast with Colette Lewis, this was absolutely an upset alert for Georgia. And it was a really good litmus test because you look at this Georgia schedule. Yes, they're 23-1. and Yes, they were in the SEC. And yes, they got looks at teams like, you know, North Carolina and Florida State, Georgia Tech earlier in the season, but really hadn't been tested uh, significantly since late February, early March. And so to see these Bulldogs tested and answer the question against the Virginia Cavaliers was absolutely a development to note. And you guys heard my, I don't want to say doubt, but hesitancy before jumping on the Georgia bandwagon. I know the talent. Katarina Jokic has been arguably the best player in college tennis since she walked on campus in Athens. And there are so many successful uh players, uh, so many successful, excuse me, players, yeah, up and down their roster. You look, uh, obviously, Leah Ma, who we'll talk about in a second, who ends up getting the clinch. She was, I believe, the SEC freshman of the year. And then, you know, we've talked about the gaudy numbers for all of these players on the roster. Meg Kowalski's 12-2, and two, and, you know, uh, Morgan, I believe, Kopich is, I think, 17-2 and two overall. And, you know, Elena Christoffi, 10-0, undefeated at the number six singles position. Uh, And of course, we haven't even mentioned Marta Gonzalez, who unfortunately just hasn't finished many matches because her team has clinched so frequently before she's able to get to that point of the match. But look, Virginia came out swinging 
And obviously, the matchup between Navarro and uh, Jokic was the highlight. But oh my God, Shubash versus uh, Ma was absolutely spectacular as well. And I got to say, credit to this Georgia team for taking that doubles point. And it was a, you know, they got punched in the face to start the doubles point because the number three doubles duo of uh, Glosman and and Shake, uh, they smacked Liam Ma and Meg Kowalski 6-2. They just played a really good set. They were the aggressors and they were the ones getting to the net and they were just playing playing on their terms. It felt like at three, UGA was reacting to everything. But look, Kristoffi and Kopic, they were fantastic at number two doubles. A really impressive 6-2 win over Munera and Subash. And then, look, Jokic and Arsenault versus Johansson and Navarro. That was exactly what you expect from two of the top 20 teams in the country. Uh, a couple of breaks traded back and forth, but ultimately, Georgia, 6-4 decision at number one. They take that doubles point, and after they took that doubles point, you just felt like to win four singles matches against this Georgia team, especially considering, you know, UNC can match any team with their top two of Navarro and Subash, but, you know, despite the rankings for Johansson and, you know, uh, it's just, it was really tough sledding for the bold uh, for Virginia to have to try and find a recipe to steal four, right? Such a narrow pathway, and they almost did it a credit to them and you look up and down the uh, the line here you know there were four three set battles and it speaks to I, I just mentioned you know perhaps the depth for UVA not quite where they want it to be over the next three seasons to compete for a national championship but it's pretty darn good already and you got to give so much credit to Sophia Munera of Virginia who takes that first set 6-4 from Christoffi they also get first sets from Subash who came out firing 6-2 over Liam Ma they get a first set of um, uh, are no other so only two first sets on the board right Georgia takes four of them but then came the scrapping and you knew Emma Navarro wasn't going anywhere her and Jokic traded a couple of breaks in that first set ultimately Jokic takes it 6-4 Navarro then actually broke Jokic when she was serving for the match I believe up 5-4 in that second set Navarro able to get the break and then takes the last three games of the set to send us to a third now it's worth noting Katarina Jokic was up 5-3 and serving for it at the time Liam clinched and I have to say if that's your NCAA singles final Jokic versus Navarro or honestly even if it's Liam Ma versus Subash, both of these matches so sensational. Jokic definitely was the one doing the majority of the dictating. She was the one moving Navarro to the outer thirds of the court. She was also the one, I thought, who handled the conditions just a little bit better than Liam Ma, uh, Liam Ma, excuse me, than Navarro did, although you could tell this match started at 10 a.m. It ended around 1.32 these teams were drained. They were absolutely dead. The gas tank was on empty at the end of this match. And, you know, again, it's a credit to UVA who kept scrapping and clawing. And you look, I think I said 4-2 earlier. Excuse me. It was a 4-1 decision for Georgia. Uh, ultimately, it was Meg Kowalski who just continues to rock and roll at number three singles. What a luxury that is. 6-3-6-3. They then get a straight set win from Marta Gonzalez, who was probably just happy more than anything else to finish a match. And again, coach, uh, uh, head coach uh, for Coach Wallace, excuse me, I'm blanking here, for Georgia, talked about how he feels as confident in Gonzalez as five at five as any of his points. She must have just been thrilled to finish that match, a grind, six and three. She just worked Odell to the outer thirds. And then, you know, again, all of these matches down the finish line were close. You feel like if Navarro could have taken it, I think she did take an early break lead on Jokic before Jokic raced off in that second set. And, you know, again, Liam Ma, Subash, that match, uh, Subash, every 
by every definition of the word, it was a toss-up. And, you know, again, Subash takes the first set. She's moving Ma around the court. Ma just looked like she couldn't find her rhythm. She just, she looked uncomfortable. Uh, and shout-out to Leah Ma, who played this entire match in long sleeves. It was like 90 on the court at least by the time the match ended. And I actually had the chance to ask Coach Wallace and Jokic about that fact. And, you know, do they poke fun at Leah for that decision? But the energy Leah Ma showed from the second set onward. She is not someone who's, you know, she's an introvert. That's the word. She's just very much keeps to herself, focuses on the match. Of course, she's as passionate and as driven as anyone. Don't let uh, an introvert's, I suppose, calm nature make you think that they don't want it, that they're not stone cold killers when it comes to the competition. But look, Ma kept scrapping and clawing. By the end, Subash was clearly drained. She was throwing in a lot of slice forehands, just trying to move Ma around the court, but Ma played an aggressive and assertive uh, third set, and ultimately she takes it 7-6 to clinch the victory for Virginia, and I have to say, I think the closest of this match, uh, more indicative of the Virginia Cavaliers than it is any hesitancy I would have about Georgia. I know I was a bit Georgia skeptic coming into this round of 16, but I mean, they can play at all six flights, and Christoffi, Munera were battling down at six. They just, this Georgia team has a bunch of scrappers. They're going to scratch and claw their way. I apologize for continuing to use that metaphor, but that's what they do in every match they play. They are so, so, so impressive at being able to do that at, you know, again, just grinding their opponents down. They handled the conditions well. Of course, when you have a superstar like Jokic at one, the confidence that gives the rest of your team, it's immeasurable. And you could just see, despite the scoreboard getting tight, despite the lack of close matches this Georgia team has played this season, they were unfazed. And look, these were your 2019 NCAA finalists. There's a reason this Georgia program is what it is in the women's college tennis landscape. There's a reason Coach Wallace is able to assemble a roster with Kowalski, Kopic, Gonzalez and Christoffi in the bottom four of his lineup. But again, it this Virginia team is going places. And I don't know if we're going to see Emma Navarro for another season. I know if we do, this team can absolutely win a national championship. There are a lot of good teams scattered throughout the college tennis world, both on the men's and women's sides. The Georgia women, as good of a program as you're going to find in either of the Division I sports. Fantastic, again, 4-1 victory for them. And they advance now to the quarterfinals to play. I'm going to say it. My top performers of the opening day, the team that I thought was most impressive, oh, I'm going to say tied for first, are the NC State Wolfpack. You look at what the Wolfpack were able to accomplish. They are now into the quarterfinals for the first time in program history. And of course, the the you know the seniors up top for them, Anna Rogers, Alana Smith, and to have Riemi and Daniel, we know what that core is capable of, but... I mean, they continue to execute, and I tweeted it out in the moment. Rodgers and Smith, their 6-1 win over Kulikov and Cayetano, that was the single most impressive set I have seen from any women's college tennis doubles team this season. And I know, you know, Rodgers and Smith are number 12 in the country. They've been top 10, I think, like the past three seasons or whatever, but... It's not, you know, it's not a novel take to say they might be the best team in women's college tennis, but I really do think they are, they either are or they certainly are in the conversation for the best team in uh, women's college tennis. They're just so much size and so much aggression, and, you know, I actually had the chance to ask uh, Rogers about that fact, and you can go hear that conversation on the Cracked Interviews podcast, but... 
Uh, they were sensational. 6-1 win there. Then Daniel and Riemi, 6-1 win over Ewing and McKee at 2. And, you know, the doubles point was over in a blink of an eye. And if this NC State can take doubles, good luck finding four matches against them. Because Rogers, Smith, Riemi, Daniel, that's as tough of a top four as you're going to find. And then, you know, Rinchelli at 5. She was excellent. She delivers the first point on the board over Branstein, 6-1, 6-3. And, of course, the story for this USC team, they were without... They're three and four singles players, I'll say. some Two players who would have clearly uh, competed in their lineup, I think, all season long were listed at least at three and four in the master lineup. Coach Swain submitted. Uh, you know, you felt the, their absence at the bottom of the lineup. And, you know, for, uh, for I think, NC State, what was so impressive is that they took five first sets. And, you know, it was it was Riemi, Daniel, and Rinchelli, all six one sets at three, four, and five. And just... It was kind of the smack in the face that USC couldn't afford after dropping that doubles point. I do need to give a ton of credit to Selma Ewing. I'm just going to say now, she's the dark horse candidate to win the NCAA tournament. She's the one who could come out of nowhere, shock everyone, and, you know, again, do uh, all of the things that they are able uh, to, uh, you know, she's just able to do a little bit of everything. And I got to give a huge shout out to the USC men's team. And, you know, on the men's podcast, I'll give a corresponding shout out to the women's team for supporting one another. That was the coolest part of this match to hear the, we are SC, we are SC, 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 SC. It's stuck in my head, folks. I can't help it. I apologize. But uh, yeah, it was awesome to see the energy. It, it's just electric. And again, that's what it's like when you have fans back on site and talking to the USC men. I know they said this is the first time they got to see the women compete and the first time the women got to see the men compete at all this season. And you can feel that effect. Word on the street is the hotels uh, for these players are essentially an unregulated frat party in all the right ways, without the booze, obviously, because uh, you know we're competing for an NCAA tournament here. But it just sounds like those are the places to be right now. All of these players enjoying being a around one another, being back in that college tennis atmosphere. You can feel that. But anyways, back to this NC State match, why they were my most impressive, or tied for my most impressive performance, just the way, again, they sort of flex their muscles throughout the duration of this match. And, you know, uh, I was particularly impressed by Alana Smith at two, who was clearly struggling with her form throughout the match, but was able to steal that first set 7-6 over Aaron Cayetano. And, you know, just by doing that, putting a fifth first set on the board, that did kind of feel like the nail in the coffin and you know it's a credit to the Trojans that they fought back Danielle Wilson Summer Dvorak take second sets and it did feel for a moment there was a like a 15 to 20 minute push from the USC Trojans where it was like oh you know, if Cayetano can take that second set uh, with Claire McKee taking the second at six and that battle at six was just a battle the entire time you know, maybe there is a pathway. It's a very narrow pathway, but maybe there is a pathway to four. But credit to Adriana Riemi, credit to Jada Daniel, who after dropping that first set, uh, or second set to Dvorak, came out swinging in the third and the lefty. Such a powerful game. Always seems to be approaching the net. She just took it two summer. Uh, she earns point number three. And then Adriana Riemi, you always like her chances. Hell of a fight from Danielle Wilson, but six one four six six three Riemi advances. And now it's going to be NC State versus Georgia. And I'm just saying, you know, I, again, Ewing knocks off Rogers. by the way, 4-2. and two. That result had more to do, I think, with the success of Selma Ewing than anything Anna Rogers was doing wrong. And I also just want to point out again, Alana Smith makes tennis look way too easy. Just the ball explodes off of her racket and just... You know, sometimes I swear she can't swing her hardest because if she does, the ball's just going to go flying. Like, not because her form is bad, but just because that's how good of an athlete she is. But um, 
no, it was it was a really high quality match that NC State it was able to win for one again. It's why they were one of my most impressive performers because they just they looked really really good at all six of their singles flights. And again, I think this team can very much beat the Georgia Bulldogs. And the reason I think it is I saw it happen at the National Indoors in 2020. They knocked off Georgia 4-1. Now, very different context to that match. It was the third day of competition at the National Indoors. And, you know, third day, funky stuff happens. And, you know, uh, lineups have changed for both teams since that moment. Players obviously play different game styles now than they did then, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, the Wolfpack beat Georgia 4-1. They took the doubles. They got a win from Smith over Jokic. They got a win uh, at 4 and at 6 as well. They just, they've got the goods. They've got the depth to compete with this Georgia team. I'm just saying it should not shock anyone uh, for uh, if you see NC State knock off the Bulldogs because, as I've said throughout, this NC State very uh, team, very, very, very good. But with that in mind, let's move on now to the 1 p.m. matches. FSU A&M played our second closest match uh, by scoreline, and certainly watching that match, it was uh, just as close as expected. Uh, ultimately, FSU takes that all-important doubles point. Now, there were another three th- uh, four three-set matches Excuse me, in this one. Uh, a couple of them uh, lopsided third sets, unfortunately, as it was you know, Makarova delivering a point at number one over uh, FSU's Julia Perone for A&M. Six 63266Love. And by the way, shout out to the AM crowd. They have been absolutely electric for both the men's and women's teams thus far in this event. And, you know, JC Goldsmith, straight set win. And we said coming into the match, AM was going to have to get number one and two, but that depth for Florida State shines through once again. And Didi Das, 644661 uh, victory at three. Victoria Allen, a 6262 win at five. And then it was Petra Hule who ultimately uh, delivered the clinch. She gets a 6-7-6-2-6-1 win. Uh, Now, to be honest, this match happened, uh, I believe, uh, right as I was getting ready to start my broadcasting. So unfortunately, I didn't get to catch as much of the 1 p.m.s as I would have liked. But I will say this, the depth of this Florida State team, the strength in doubles, they took the doubles point, huge win from the duo of Solace and Allen over Goldsmith and Makarova, 7-5 at 1. If they can take doubles... It's just going to be really hard for any team to win four off of them. Now, certainly, they play the Texas Longhorns next. If any team can do it, it's Texas. But I really like this Florida State team. Again, they're battle-tested in that ACC conference. They've seen a little bit of everything. This is a really nice performance from Coach Hyde's squad. Uh, And again, I apologize for not spending more time uh, talking about this match. I just... To be honest, I didn't see as much of it as I would have liked. I don't want to be disingenuous and lie to all of you. I did see, again, the start of singles. I saw the first sets. I saw Das, Allen, Garcia at six all roll through their first sets. And I just was, you know, I saw the battle that was unfolding at four. And man. Again, Florida State's going to be a really, really tough out. But now they've got the test of all tests, right? Because Texas has lost once this year. And should they have lost that match? Let's be honest. Probably not to UNC. And, you know, I don't want to say Texas struggled because they didn't struggle. I mean, you look for them. They were able to get a six-level win from Collins and Son over Allen and Boulay. And I just want to say Collins and Lulu Son are freaking awesome at number one doubles. I mentioned Smith and Rogers are the best team I've seen this year. Collins and Son are in the conversation, though. Certainly one of, in my opinion, the five to ten best teams. And, you know, then when you can play Peyton Stearns and Charlotte Shavatapan at three doubles, you're probably winning that flight against any team not named 
I'm going to throw my power four in there as always. UNC, Pepperdine, or UCLA, but maybe in Pepperdine and doubles, you do like your chances. Um, and even against UCLA, really against anyone but North Carolina and the duo of Sanford and Tran. But the point being, that tangent aside, uh, it was a good doubles point. Good, not great doubles point, I would say, from Texas. And then it was a very, very nice performance from them in singles in particular. Again, when you have Tarati, Lulu Sun, Charlotte Chavatapan, who for any other school would probably be playing number one singles. You feel good about your chances in all of those matches. I did get the chance to watch uh, all of the first sets in this one, and then again, I had to go broadcast. So the 1 p.m. matches were the matches I missed the most of, unfortunately. And, you know, 7 p.m. I was on the call, and uh, 4 p.m. I was on the call as well. And we'll get to that Pepperdine performance over Michigan in a second. But, you know, the talk of the town has been, should Peyton Stearns be the number one singles player for Texas? Obviously, she's had a ton of pro success, the power game she's able to play. She's going to be a pro tennis player, folks, but, you know, the experience of Tarati or Sun and Shavatapan, Collins, their form of late. Uh, there are a lot of coaches, a lot of players who speculate maybe Stearns shouldn't be at that number one position. I'm not one of those people. I totally understand why she is. When Peyton Stearns looks good, she looks so, 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 so good. But Arena Cantos Ciamares deserves a ton of credit for Ohio State. She just did not let Stearns find her rhythm, kept her in the outer thirds of the court, kept moving her, whether it was short angles or elevated pace or taking balls early down the line. She just, again, didn't let Stearns dictate. And if you let Stearns dictate with her power game, that is the kiss of death. And so a credit to Irina Cantos-Ciamares for scrapping there and getting the two-in-love victory. I mean, that's just a dominant win at number one. And then, you know, four through six has always been the strength of this Buckeye team. Hoffbauer, Marzal, Dormit, uh, but... And a credit to Marzal and Dormit, who, you know, Lucia Dormit took that the one first set that the Buckeyes got at number six, and Lucia Marzal fights back, takes a 6-4 set over Kaylee Collins, uh, Kylie Collins, excuse me, at number five. And it's interesting to see Shavatapan Collins Rapalu be the recipe now for this Texas team. Uh, but look, they were scrapping at five and six. Those matches, absolutely toss-ups, but again, when you've got Ayana Tarati playing two singles or Lulu Sun, Charlotte Chavatapan, who so many people think might be... Charlotte Chavatapan is the one who people say she might be the best player on Texas's team. Again, you can say that about all of them. They're all that talented and on the right day, they all look that good. But Texas does flex their muscles and they get a little tested as well. And again, I talked to Coach Joffe. Did he feel like his team got the sort of battle test they need after, you know, relatively blitzing through the duration of the 2021 season. He said it was a mixed bag. He said he's unsure if they got the test. He said, we'll find out on Wednesday, and certainly we will as Texas going to battle against uh, Florida State. And the thing is, I think Florida State's a very similar matchup for Texas as it is Ohio State. I think Perone versus Stearns at one, I think that's a match that Florida State can win. But the problem is Florida State's strength, their depth, is also Texas's strength. And I just, if you're asking me strength on strength, who's a little bit stronger, I would argue that it's this Texas team. But ultimately, you know, both of these teams can play, right? I, I think that matchup's got all the ingredients for, I'd probably lean for one for two Texas. We'll talk about it more as we do our preview podcast for all of Wednesday's round of 16 matches. But again, Texas advances for one scoreline over the Ohio State Buckeyes. That leads to us to our final section of the draw, our final hour, the 4 p.m. matches. I was on the call <sighs> for a match that hurt my feelings. 
between Pepperdine and Michigan. And, you know, the big development for Pepperdine, they've got Anastasia Imachkine back. And she was playing three singles for them last season. She's been such a good contributor for them in doubles. I believe her and Jessica Fela were a top 10 team last season. Uh, and they look, you know, they were the clinchers in the doubles point, And it did feel like once Pepperdine got that doubles point, you're just not going to find four singles wins against them unless you're named UNC or Texas. And like, I'm sorry, you're just not. Um, and they, you know, again, talking to Coach Perrin Nielsen, uh, Nielsen, and he mentions this in his broadcast, so I think, I, or in the interview we did uh, on Media Day on Tuesday, so I think I can now mention this on the podcast. Uh, he still thinks his team hasn't played their best match this season, and I tend to agree with him. I do think there's still the best is yet to come from this Pepperdine team, and, you know, again, you look at the singles depth. Lisa Zarr, who was down 6-4-5-1 today at the number 5 singles position, she's only lost one dual match this season. And Tasia Pachkaleva, she's only lost one dual match this season. Both of those came at the National Indoors. They're both ripped off, I think, like 18 or 19 match winning streaks. And then you've got Shiori Fukuda, freaking All-American, number 1 singles player for the Buckeyes, justifiably at the number 4 singles position. Nikki Redelick, stud at number 6 singles. And then, of course, we haven't even talked about their top 2 in Leahy and Fela. And look... Leahy's yet to play her best tennis, the the sort of tennis we've grown accustomed to throughout the course of her college tennis career. When she does, Pepperdine can beat absolutely anyone. North Carolina, Texas, UCLA. They, I mean, they've already beaten the Bruins this year. They're on that tier. They're this quality caliber of a team. They can win a national championship. In the quarterfinal battle between Pepperdine and UCLA, that's a national championship quality match. That it's happening in the quarterfinals speaks to the level of talent this year in the college tennis universe. But look, I mean, I think the Waves took five first sets, and when you drop doubles and drop five first sets against a team this good, you're probably not coming back. And I will give credit, you know, Olivia Jones was so, so good, senior for Michigan. She's up 6-4-5-1 on Lee Cesar, was so aggressive, just playing to win, playing, you know, her best tennis down the home stretch. And I have to say, freshman Jaden Brown, yes, that scoreline to Fakuda 6-4-6-1 looks a little lopsided towards the end. That first set was an absolute toss-up, and Jaden Brown, She's going to play her aggressive attacking game style against anyone. And ditto, by the way, Kari Miller had a million breakpoint chances against Leahy in that first set and seemed to finally get that break in the second set, the breakthrough she needed. She was up 4-3 at the time of the clinch. But I mean, look, Jessica Fela, we haven't even talked about her. She ends up clinching 6-1-6-3 to have her at two singles. What a luxury that is. Uh, certainly any other coach in the country, except for, again, maybe Carolina or, or Texas would sign up or UCLA would sign up for that right now. Um, she gets the victory. Pachkaleva gets the victory. Fakuda gets the victory. Their pathway to four, it was very, very broad. Uh, and they, they looked the part of a number five seed. They worked these Wolverines. And, you know, what a career it was for Kiara Lomer. What a career for Olivia Jones. Certainly, Wolverine Nation is going to miss the both of them, as well as Bella Lorenzini, who was down to Redelick at the time of the clinch. But as Pepperdine team's the real deal, folks. I don't know what else to say about that. They... I don't know if this was their best match of the season. I asked Coach Nielsen and and Ashley Leahy about that, and they were unclear. You know, they were kind of like, no, like, we we thought we played a little bit earlier, early in the season. I think we can also play a better match, and I think that's a scary thing for the rest of the NCAA tournament because if they can play a better match, I don't know who beats them on that day. Like, this Pepperdine team is really, really good, and I have to say, of all the teams, Texas, UCLA— 
I think Pepperdine's the one best suited to beat North Carolina. If you're North Carolina, you are praying. You're not praying because you like your chances against anyone. But I would root for, for UCLA tomorrow. And I'm not saying, by the way, UCLA is going to be an easy out. They're absolutely not. And I think, you know, the scariest thing for UCLA and why UNC would not be pulling for them to beat Pepperdine is if Alicia Bolton is clicking at the number three singles position that's problems for the rest of the country. That's about as sure of a point as you're going to get in uh, any lineup in the country to have someone who was top 10 in both singles and doubles clearly going to be a professional during her career later on as well, uh, justifiably playing three singles. You, you draw that up as a point every time uh, if you're a part of Bruin Nation. And with that in mind, again, 4-0 Pepperdine knocks off my Wolverines. Let's get now to that uh, UCLA-Georgia uh, Tech match in Look, I think this is the big takeaway. When Abby Forbes, first NCAA tournament, yes, she's a second-year player, but she's beaten super senior Kenya Jones 6-3-6-1. She's playing that sort of tennis. Look out, rest of the college tennis world. And, you know, she gets a victory. Alicia Bolton earns the clinch 6-4-6-4 over Gia Cohen. We also got a win 0-1 from Annette Golick over Mahak Jane. Now, the big story, Vanessa Ong in the lineup over Abby Altick. I don't want to say over Abby Altick, more just like that's the lineup coach chose to go with today. No Altick in the lineup. She goes Ong and Golick at uh, 5-6. She's got a ton of options, and you know I, I have no problem with playing around with going with the six players that are hot. You know, on this occasion, Vanessa Ong was down to Carol Lee at the time of the clinch, but you know Carol Lee's a hell of a player, and I do I do like a little experimentation. I see nothing wrong with that. Of course, you know, look, I I'm gonna miss. Kenya Jones and Vicky Flores as the one of two for Georgia Tech. They've been very formative in my early years covering the sport and just, you know, Flores and Jones, they were down to Forbes and Hart, but, you know, Vicky Flores was one of two players to take a set. She took that first set uh, over uh, Jada Hart. Jada, of course, comes fighting back as she always does to take the second. That match was going to a third. That match always was never going to finish, let's be honest, but, you know, outstanding career for Kenya Jones. College tennis world will miss her and will not be the same without her. Her and Flores scrap, but just this UCLA team's too good top to bottom. And, you know, again, even Viv Wolf, when she took that 7-6 set over Ava Hrastar, you could hear, you know, you could hear some warm-up tunes uh, in the background, the fat lady singing and this Georgia, uh, this UCLA team, again, really, really good. I also don't think we've seen them play their best match yet this season. I was at the National Indoors last year, and I know comparatively their roster was probably better compared to everyone else in 2020 than it is here in 2021. But when you can roll out Forbes, Hart, Bolton, when you can have you know Viv Wolf and Vanessa and Ong and Gulag, Abby Altick, a lot of players who have seen you know Altick played Georgia Tech, I believe, in that match back in 2018 in Winston Salem. That was the thriller uh, that we talked about with uh, Georgia Tech coach Harmon before this round of 16. When you've got that sort of experience sitting on the bench, you're probably sitting pretty pretty. You're probably feeling pretty good about yourself. Certainly, this Georgia Tech team, uh, this Georgia Tech team, excuse me, this UCLA team should feel good about themselves. An incredible season for Georgia Tech, who again, tough, tough draw. If you're telling me they drew, you know, switch them with with Virginia, I think they absolutely could have beaten the Georgia Bulldogs. Switch them with Texas A&M, I think they already have beaten Florida State this season. I, I think they can hang with anyone. Uh, but, you know, again, UCLA just too good on this occasion. It's a credit, by the way, to Bolton that she was able to get over that finish line, avoid the drama of any three-set matches or letting the scoreboard get close. They sensed the win was in hand. Bolton able to clinch and get the job done. And again, for these UCLA Bruins, 
that matchup with Pepperdine, that's the match of the quarterfinal round. Men's, women's, it doesn't matter. That's a national championship quality match. We get to see it this early in the tournament. It's a luxury for all of us college tennis fans. Again, Pepperdine is really, really freaking good. Uh, One through six, they've got a ton of options, but so does this UCLA team, right? Let's just look at the stats quickly for them. Might as well. Uh, As we look at it again, we'll go further in depth uh, when we do our preview podcast, but obviously you look at Abby Forbes. I think she's lost like 12 Twice this season. Let's see. Abby Forbes, yeah, 19 and 2 at the number one position, 20 and 2 overall. You look for them. Uh, you know, Viv Wolf, 11 and 6, but 10 and 4 when she's played number four. They're 13 and 5 at 5, 19 and 4 at 6, 16 and 1 at the number two singles position. And their worst flight is number three, where, you know, again, Alicia Bolton's dealt with so many different injury uh, issues, and, uh, you know, they've had a bunch of people filling in there at that position. They're 11 and 7 at three singles overall, but you probably like a Alicia Bolton as a point as much as anyone in that matchup. Bolton, Pachkaleva, inject in my veins, folks. Uh, well, let's save for the preview pod. Save for the preview pod. Again, big doubles point, and you look for the Bruins. I think they got to take that. I, they don't have to take it. Neither of these teams have to take anything, I suppose. The pathways to four so broad for both of them. But I expect UCLA to take that doubles point. Then once they do, good luck winning four singles matches against them. If anyone can do it, it's Pepperdine. And again, that's why that match is so exciting. But credit to the UCLA Bruins. They beat a very good Georgia Tech team. 4-0 to advance to another NCAA quarterfinal. And again, it was a fantastic Sunday of action. Fantastic kickoff to our women's round, uh, uh, women's NCAA home stretch here in Orlando. Again, I mentioned this at the top. We have fans again. And the atmosphere, the energy, the electricity surrounding each of these matches, Dickie V, baby, in the crowd, that's all you can ask for as a tennis fan, and you can see the joy again, not just on the athletes and the coaches' faces, but everyone here on the grounds, and shout out, I wish I knew their names better, there's a security staff who, I mean, you guys know me, I like to joke around, I like to have fun with people, I like to engage people, that's why I do this job, who have put up with more of my nonsense over the past couple of days and more of my crappy dadish humor uh, than they have any right to do. I, we worked out a signal where I walk by them, I lick my fingers and then go across my eyebrows so they know it's me, that's on my identifying trait beyond the mask, I'm like, when you see the thick eyebrows, you know it's me and let me through, and they always laugh and we do the signal back and forth to one another and they let me through, and again, just t- Top to bottom, whether it's Daniel Pizer, USDA Communications, Brian Begline, who put up with all of my garbage in the broadcast booth. Um, it's been such a pleasure to be here in Orlando. I'm, I'm so happy that my parents were like, Alex, don't be an idiot. Because, you know, I, I, was, I did all the broadcast remotely, right? And so uh, I didn't really have to come to accentuate the coverage. It's not like we get to do the pressers in person, but... This is the center of the college tennis universe right now, and there are a bunch of stories brewing on the ground. The transfer portal right now, the hottest club in all of tennis. It's got everything, right? And apologies for repeating my tweet, but, you know, you've got that going on. Oh, my gosh, the rumors surrounding the Oklahoma State men's tennis job. I I can't address them here. That's a podcast conversation for a different time. I don't want to just throw that into the back end, an hour-long conversation. Now I'm going to get into the juicy stuff. Just hold that thought, but... I'm hearing things. I am hearing things, and that is on its own why it is worth it to be here on the ground in Orlando. I will say personally, I think I'm going to get uh, dinner tonight with Austin Rapp, uh, Ben Goldberg, so shout out to the Bruins, I suppose, and you expect a photo for that on my Twitter feed at some point, but man, 
What an exciting first round. All eight, uh, I suppose not all eight seeds, but a lot of people predicted Duke. So, you know, seven of the top seven seeds advance, and then Duke gets through as well. I will also point out women's teams. 8-0 in the round of 16 when they took the doubles point. That's a little factoid to notice. Speaks to how difficult it is to win four singles matches against any of these teams. And overall, between the men and the women, doubles point winners, 15-1. The only team that was able to come back, steal four singles matches after dropping the doubles point. It was one of the men's teams. I'm currently blanking on the name of it. I'm like looking through all the results in my head. I'm like, all right, who were the nightcaps last night? The 7 p.m.s. Who were the 7 p.m.s? Texas A&M took the doubles point. Uh, Who was on the other side? Florida took the doubles point, the 4 p.m.s. Baylor was a 1 p.m. match, but they, oh, uh, Texas, duh, 4 p.m., Texas was the one, it's always Texas, when in doubt, if something dramatic happened, assume it's the Texas men, uh, they're the only team to drop the doubles point and advance, but, you know, they live on the skin of their teeth, 9-1 and one in their 10-4-3 matches, that's a ridiculous testament to Coach Burke, we'll talk about it when we get to the men's recaps, but again, that's your NCAA women's round of 16, I do want to apologize once more for the lack of pro tennis content here lately at Crack Rack. I'm trying my best to monitor it all. I promise you I will do what I can. But, um, yeah, it's it's nuts. Uh, it's so nice to be down here. After two years, oh, boy, we're getting the NCAA tournament we deserve. And, again, we will be back here the rest of the week. No more excuses. Mini breaks the rest of the days. Eventually, we'll do a Super Pro Tennis mailbag as well where we talk about everything that's happening. Next week, or two weeks from now, I believe, is the start of the French Open. So expect those preview podcasts throughout the NCAA individual event. For now, we'll focus on the team action here and again. Duke, UNC. Georgia versus NC State, FSU versus Texas, Pepperdine, UCLA. Those are your four quarterfinal matches. We will be back with a preview podcast before the action begins tomorrow. Of course, if you've missed out on anything, you want to hear from some of these coaches, some of these players, be sure to go tune over to our website, CrackRackets.com. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at CrackRackets. You want to message me directly, I am at GreatShotPod. A shout-out, as always, to Super Producer Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job he has done day in, day out, sincerely. I mean, all of these interviews, all of the press row, all of the content we want to create here at Crack Rackets to ensure all of you college tennis fans have the sort of information you need. He's the one who makes it all possible. It's very easy to talk into a mic. It's a lot more difficult to make me sound competent. He's the one who makes that so, so shout out to him. Shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports. MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. But with all of that in mind, for our wonderful super producers, Fligner and Westoff, who, by the way, have been hard at work on our Cracked Interviews podcast. That's where you can go find all of those conversations for our friends at Midwest Sports and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, boy. Feels good to say that. It's been a while, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>